You are listening to the Fur Road Christian Church Podcast. Our mission is to love God and love people. For more information about Fur Road, visit furroadcc.org. That is F-I-R-R-O-A-D-C-C dot org. Now for this week's message. Good morning. I have a pair of gloves up here that I have had I don't know how long, but I was reminiscing about it, and uh, this last week I was using it and noticed that there's a hole that is going through it, so it's looking like that it's about time for a new pair of gloves. Uh, But I was reminiscing on on the things that I'd experienced with these gloves. I think gloves are something that we use in a lot of different ways, and in our life, uh, different people have different kind of gloves. You have athletes that have gloves, you have workers that have gloves, uh, gardeners that you use gloves. Gloves are kind of an aspect of our lives that we use to really uh, do a lot of essential things in our lives, to help us to do it maybe a little better, to do it a little differently, And uh, but they also hold that, that sentimental value. I don't know if many of you are sentimental people with your uh, clothes and things like that. I think if you are a guy, there's a better chance that you have a closet full of t-shirts that go back decades, right? Uh, we hold on to things like that to help us remember those things. And uh, even though I probably won't get to use these gloves that much longer. Uh, I was reflecting on the things that I've experienced while wearing these gloves. These gloves have been used to help people move, so they've been used in an act of service. These gloves have been used to uh, move and help build and create projects, um, sometimes to help myself or to build something for somebody else. I've used it to move dirt and to grow a garden. I've used it universally in a lot of different ways. Uh, But there's one problem with these gloves, and that it's that the fact that I'm the one that's wearing them. And because of that, there is a definite limitation on how well and how productive the things are created through them. Uh, I'm only so good of a gardener. I'm only so good of a builder. I am only so good of you fill in the blank, right? Moving furniture and all that different stuff. And so these gloves are limited to what fills them. If I put them on the hands of someone who had been trained to be a carpenter, they would be able to build things much more significantly. If they were worn by a master gardener, then they'd be able to garden a whole lot better. And it's a reminder that uh, even though there's a lot of memories and a lot of experiences, they are very much a result of what and who is wearing them. I think that is something that is significant as we are going through this series and looking at discipleship, and I'll tie that factor in here in a little bit, but as we go through life, we need to remember the fact of the things that we are doing in life, the things that we do as we attempt and strive to do discipleship better. What is our method? What is our approach? What are our abilities? What are our skills? And I think sometimes we view our discipleship models and our methods as very much limited to what we are able to do. And I think there is some of that fear, there is some of that uh, trepidation, the things that we will only strive to do so much, we'll only try to do so much as we uh, uh, hear about discipleship, as we learn about discipleship. And so it limits our attempts at what God might try to do us or even our expectations of what God might try to do for us. I think universally we would all agree that God calls us all to do discipleship. 
And in this series following Easter, this is really a phase that the disciples went through, historically speaking, when Jesus, you know, resurrected from the dead. It's this final push to help them become disciple makers. His final challenge to them is that they would go and be disciple makers. And so I think it's important to us as we are on the back end of Easter that we too strive to remember that truth that God wants us to make disciples. He calls us all to make disciples. And as we look through scriptures, we see these different phases that Jesus went to, these different levels that he walked his disciples through. And he was very intentional in his condensed time, in his shortened time of how to use that, how to develop people, how to equip people, and putting them at a place where they could have the most success, where they could experience God in healthy and growing ways, and also in challenging ways sometimes. And so the first level that we saw was just Jesus inviting them to come and see. He just wanted people to come and see who he was and affirm that he was truly who he was saying he was. The second thing that he asked them to do was to come and follow me. He challenged them to leave the life that they knew, to experience a new life that he had in store. And they knew what their old life was, and they probably could have very easily settled in that. Knowing what they had and what they had experienced versus the unknown is sometimes very challenging for us if we're not risk-takers. It's a lot safer to stay in the boat than to step out of it sometimes. But this week, we're looking at this third phase that Jesus takes his disciples through, not only coming and seeing who he is, not only following him and learning his truth, but in this phase three, this level three discipleship, he says, come and be with me. There's a little bit more to that than just following him. It's to spend time with him. It's to commune with him. It's to be in conversation with him. It's this expectation that as we read this passage from Mark 3, 13 through 14, and we're just going to look at this passage. It's a short one, but we're going to try to milk it for all it's worth. It says, Jesus went up on a mountainside, and he called those that he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12 that they might be with him. And so there's this expectation of these people that are with him. There's significance to that being on a mountain. There's a significance with the number 12, reflecting back to Israel. Oftentimes, when the Israelites were following God, they would go to a mountaintop experience to meet with God. And so he's redrawing from that imagery, that thought. And he's like, you are the chosen few. You are the special group. And within this group, he has this challenge for them that they they are going to do something, they are going to experience God in a way that they had not been able to experience Jesus before. And they probably, as they are called to be with Jesus, they probably don't fully understand it, what it means to be with him. They know that he wants this new level of closeness and community, that they were going to be a part of a special group, and they would get a chance to know Jesus on a completely different level. We all understand that to some degree, right? We have different levels of interactions with people. We have people that we kind of know, people that we know the names of, people that we know a few details about that we can ask about. But then you have your uh, smaller group of people, the family that you know the good and the bad. You know their pluses and their minuses. You've seen the good days and the hard days. You've been through some life together. And you get to have a different level of conversation with them. 
And Jesus did that with these 12 people. And if you want to take it a little deeper, he does it even more so with the chosen three. And so there's this unique level of closeness that he doesn't get with the crowds and even chooses these out of the larger group of disciples. And he really gives them this, ta this tag, this distinguishing feature of being apostles of him, people that were with him and that were going to get to know Jesus in a completely different and deeper way. And Jesus wanted them to be more than just disciples. He wanted them to be transformational disciple makers. They were chosen because Jesus wanted them. He wanted them as his companions, as his students, as his partners in this mission. They weren't just going to watch. They were going to be participants. He wanted them to learn from them, to imitate him, and represent him to the world. That's what transforming discipleship is about. It's about spending time with Jesus on a deeper, going farther level, learning what Jesus was about, but also, more importantly, doing what Jesus asks us to do, being willing to go out and being willing to be trained and transformed by that. It's about a relationship that changes us, not just on the outside, but also on the inside. And it was about being on a mission that mattered, that made a difference, and that was going to glorify God, but also establish this kingdom in a new and profound way. And as they went and experienced what it was like to be with Jesus, they got to see some incredible, amazing things. If you put yourself with them and think about journeying with Jesus and getting to see the things that these disciples saw, people being raised from the dead, people being healed from incurable diseases, Jesus reaching out and teaching and loving on people that were considered unlovable. They got to learn about Jesus. They got to see and understand his heart for people. <laughs> They got to see him as the great physician. They got to hear and understand the parables, oftentimes truths that went over everybody's head. They got to ask Jesus what they meant and be changed by those truths. He exposed them to so many amazing, incredible things that they could have never, ever dreamed about as they were fishing off their boats in the Sea of Galilee. But that wasn't amazing enough to just come and be with him. Jesus does something even more incredible. In Mark 3, 14 through 15, the rest of this verse of him calling them to be with him, it says this is the purpose in doing so. That he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Can you imagine being called by Jesus and being talked to and shared with this amazing detail that you were going to get to go and do something that really nobody else had had the authority and the power to do. To have the authority over demons and to be able to preach and teach a truth in a way that people were going to have their lives transformed. And so Jesus uses this calling he uses this mountaintop experience, which prior to him going up there, he spends time in prayer, in preparation. Even Jesus prepares in prayer when he's about to train and pour into somebody. And so this time of training that Jesus uses with them is something when they are empowered with an ability that few ever got. They got to go and do things that they had already only seen Jesus do. 
They got to go out and make disciples of Jesus, and they did it with power, with authority, with the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine being able to do something like that? And we don't get a lot of details on what happened on that mountainside, how Jesus developed or showed them. I like to imagine it, especially since, you know, this week was May the 4th, right? And May the 4th be with you. So there's that Star Wars aspect of things. I like to imagine some of this happening, like where Jesus is teaching them and training them how to develop these special abilities. Uh, he's bringing in these people and they're cat practicing casting out demons of, you know, these, this crazy person who's on the corner or there's this uh, a training montage where they're running or jumping or whatever it might be, right? And they get to develop these gifts. They get to try out these, uh, I don't know if they, you know, probably not quite like Harry Potter when the, the, the cadences and stuff, but they, they had to learn how to allow the Holy Spirit to work through them, to trust in that, that they were going to have this ability to do something so amazing, and in this training process, Jesus teaches them about this world that is in need of being restored, of being healed, of being reconnected to God, of having all the darkness be lifted out of them. We don't get all the stories of the experiences of calling out demons or if they sent them into the pigs nearby or, or any of those different things. But we do know that Jesus cared about these. And in a world that is becoming more socially isolated, Jesus shows us this model of what discipleship could be. He chose these 12 as an example to us that it's not always about the largeness of the group. Sometimes it's about the smallness of the group. That even in these smaller groups, you can have a bigger impact. Could Jesus have called 120 people and had that much bigger of an impact? Definitely. But he was intentional with the size. And I think sometimes we need to remember that God does big things through small groups of people. And we learn this truth that God wants to do amazing things with people in sizes of, that are smaller than usually we like to have them. And in this training process, he sets the standard of what that looks like. In our world today, I think especially, like I said, in a world where we continuously get more and more isolated and it's harder and harder to connect with people, I feel, uh, there is an opportunity really, unlike other times, to do discipleship differently. I think there have been phases and models in the past of church history in, in America of let's get as big as we can, let's get as large as we can, let's have this mega church. But even in the midst of the largeness, there is smallness intentionally. There is life groups that happen or small groups that happen. And there is a certain depth that you can go. But again, Jesus also spent time intentionally with just the three and I think that's where he truly was able to push them. He was able to train them. He was able to have conversations with Peter that maybe would have offended people and caused them to leave. Conversations like sitting there and telling him that, you know, get behind me, Satan, and asking him if he really loved him. Those are deep moments. Those are true moments of training, of conversation, of depth. And it's only in isolation, it's only in those small groups, uh, uh, that where you've gone to that level with someone, you've experienced so many things with them, that you're able to challenge and change people in a different way. 
And I think that is part of what discipleship is about. It's coming together with other people, being willing to be changed and challenged by the truths that are presented to us through Scripture, through the Holy Spirit, through each other. We are able to sharpen each other, challenge each other, and do things that we never thought we could do. We get to see things that we never thought we could see. And this is something that takes place in our world today. Jesus uses these one-on-one interactions. He uses these small discipleship groups to have big impacts. And this week, preparing for this message, I came across a story of this man by the name of Derwin James. Uh, He was a NFL player, and in his rookie year, in the year of 1993, he retells this story of meeting the naked preacher. That may sound a little weird, meeting and having a naked preacher. Uh, Don't have too crazy of an imagery, but basically what this was, as he described, as, as a linebacker for the Colts, one of his teammates was very intentional about being upfront with his faith and about discipling these other people. And he says he encountered this guy that for the first time, seeing this six foot two, 240 pound man wrapped in a towel around his waist, sharing the gospel with all of his teammates. And he would go around every, asking everybody, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? And in his mind, he was thinking, do you know you're half naked? But one day, as he was sitting by his locker, he saw the naked preacher walking towards him. And he thought, oh no, here comes the religious guy. And then he asked me a question that transformed my life. He said, Derwin Gray, do you know Jesus? And that was the start of a discipleship relationship that God allowed them to have for the next five years. For the next five years, these two men walked together. They studied together. They prayed together. They talked and they cried and they shared life together. And in this process, and on August 2nd, 1997, uh, during summer training camp, he called his wife on the phone and shared with her that he wanted to be more committed to her and wanted to be more committed to Jesus. After that conversation, he wept, thinking, how could Jesus love and forgive someone like me? I was redeemed by Jesus, reconciled to God, forgiven and justified by the blood of Jesus. I was born again and sealed with the Holy Spirit. God was my dwelling place. A new man in a new kingdom and a new family with a new power and purpose. And all this happened because of a naked preacher who took to heart the words of Jesus to go and make disciples. He was baptized by Steve in a hotel swimming pool that night before the game, and he changed his life. And he shared the things that really impacted him in this discipleship process were these five things. He said, first of all, he was always just Christ-centered. He was captivated by Jesus and the gospel message, and he was compelled by love of Christ to share Christ's love with the lost. And so everything about him was Christ-centered. And he shared later on that he had just asked God if he would give him the opportunity to be in the NFL. He would use that moment to evangelize all of his teammates. That was Steve's prayer coming into the NFL. Not most people's desire or wish list of being number one of why he want to be drafted, right? The mission field that it presents. The second was that he was consistent. He showed up every day as the same person, and he knew that he was walking in the Holy Spirit's power. Over time, teammates would do different things, but he would just continue to be faithful. 
and honest and true. And he was consistent in his lifestyle, the things that he said, the things that he did. He was also clear in his gospel presentation that questioned you, you know Jesus. Very simple, very straightforward, but also allowed people to respond. He also said that the fact that he was cross-culture, that he loved everybody and he shared the truth with everybody. It didn't matter if the players were black. It didn't matter if they were white. The race did not matter. All he cared about were their hearts. And as a part of that, he was compassionate. Whenever they had problems, people would go to him and receive his counsel and wisdom. He was always compassionate and patient, even with the worst of his teammates. And so because of that desire, because of that approach, he was able to have an impact in a place that most people would think that you would have no impact where Christ's love would shine bright in a darker setting. And even though he was there, he made a difference. And that, that uh, teaching that he lived was like this ripple effect that went through the locker room, one ripple after another, changing one life after another with the gospel message, with the gospel truth that God and Jesus loved him. It's been many, said many times in different ways that people don't care what you know until they know that you care. I think that is a central thought in discipleship. Jesus showed his disciples that he cared about them. Steve showed Derwin that he cared about them. When you can have a heart like Jesus, when you pray that you will care about everybody the way that God cares about them, that you be able to love everybody the way that God loves them. You can have an impact on people. You can become a transformational disciple maker, no matter what you are wearing or aren't wearing in the case of Steve. But it was verses like 1 Thessalonians that inspired him. It reads this in verse, chapter 2, verse 8. So we are cared for because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. We have the opportunity as disciple makers to share our lives with other people. You can think about the different circles, the different influence, the different relationships that you have, the different places that God has put you to have an impact on those lives. And if we have that mindset of being trained, of trying to be intentional about discipling people, Sure, some people will say no, some people might make fun of you, some people will reject you. But if we are direct, if we're consistent, if we're challenging, if we are living as Jesus lives, then we can have an impact on people's lives based on the way we live. And so really it should be all of our goals to invite people to come and be with you. That's what Steve did, that he invited people to come be with him to talk and to learn about Jesus. And we can all do that. And that should be our goal, is to invite people at this level three of discipleship, after we've asked people to come and see, after we've gotten them to start to follow Jesus, if we can get them to be with Jesus, it's going to take them to a whole different level. It's going to allow them to experience things that maybe they only read about in Scripture. Things like the Holy Spirit empowering us to say or to do different things that we'd never be able to do on our own. And that is an experience unlike anything else. When God speaks to us, when God speaks through us, when God sends us to different places to train and to teach other people. 
And I think there is a process in this discipleship that we have to be intentional about. I don't think it always just comes naturally. I think there is a process of becoming a better disciple maker, looking at the different things of our aspects of our life, looking at maybe the, our approach of what we say, looking at what God wants us to do, looking at the people around us. And so there is an aspect of training and being trained to be better disciple makers. And I think sometimes our attitude come when it comes to discipleship and transforming discipleship is we try to do discipleship, but we often aren't being trained to do discipleship. And there's a big difference between the two, right? We can try to do different things. You know, when you ask your kids to do the dishes and they wash three, it's like, well, I tried, right? Training is learning how, researching, getting better. When's the last time you read a book or two or three about discipling people, about going across the room? And there, uh, how many news articles have you read about how to change your character, how to change your approach? What resources can we use to reach this younger generation? What are they responding to? Can we show them or watch The Chosen with them and talk with them afterwards, what are the different things that we are doing to be trained to be better disciples? And it's more than just trying. It's about being trained to run this race that God has set to us. And really as a church, that is one of my goals. That's one of my prayers is that we would do a better job training to be disciple makers. I want to just share something with you that I appreciate. I don't remember when it was, but is Tom Nutt in here? Is he here today? Tom Nutt shared with me a while ago. He had just gotten back from a discipleship conference, and he said, hey, I got this book, and I just wanted you to check it out. It's a book called Discipleship Essentials. It's by Greg Ogden. And I said, yeah, I'd like to check it out. And so in the aftermath of that, of trying to pray about, you know, how do we help train our people? How do we put resources in the hands of people that they can use to just kind of walk them through people that are at different levels, that are different depths, that might maybe just need something. They don't have that resource. And he shared this resource with me, and I looked through it, and I thought it looked good. And then I started to look around and pray about who can I go through this book with? And Matt Bergen and I have been going through it, uh, and every week we've been meeting and going through another chapter. I've really appreciated the, the ease of it, the simplicity of it, and it challenges you. There's questions that you answer. There's passages that you look, like, look at. There's a method of growing and deepening your faith, learning to do inductive studies. And, you know, I, I, to, and to be honest, we're only on chapter five. I haven't made it all the way through, so I hope there's no surprises, especially after sharing this with you. But so far, it's been really good. And I would encourage you to look this up and I think what would be great, especially in our summer, it seems like we kind of slow down in some different aspects of our ministry. And I would challenge you that even though our bigger groups might not meet as much, that you would be intentional about meeting as a smaller group. And in this book and in, through Greg Ogden's uh, Discipleship Essentials, he really recommends that you do this with three or four other people. And that way you can have deeper conversations, you can challenge each other, you can hold each other accountable. And so really that is something that I would ask you to pray about. Who are three or four other people that you can do this with? Maybe one other person from our church, but then also intentionally trying to find two people that you can challenge and go through those phases of come and follow me. Come and be with me. I want to study God's truth with you. I am still learning in this process. I want you to learn with me. So be praying about who God might be putting on your heart. 
in finding this book, or if you get this book and you're like, hey, this isn't really connecting with me, there are thousands of discipleship resources out there. Try and find something that connects with you, that challenges you, that will help you grow. And if you need help with that, come to me. I'm happy to point you to some of those. But really, as a church, I think this is one of our levels of cultivating our roots, right? The deeper that we go in God's truth, the deeper that we go in study, the deeper we go in relationship with each other, the healthier, the stronger, the more we're able to grow together. And so use this summer as an opportunity to go through your first discipleship stuff. Use this as an opportunity to, to learn more, to train yourself better. And if you do that, and something that I've really enjoyed is just the spiritual growth that you get out of doing something like that the opportunity to pray with somebody, to study with somebody. It's empowering when the Holy Spirit does different things and he points you to live your life differently than maybe you've been doing. And that's my challenge, is to come and be with somebody. Do life with them. And so that's where we're at. And so will you answer this challenge? Will you be committed to be training your faith? Will you say yes to what Jesus wants you to do? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to use you in ways that you aren't able to use yourself? Maybe there are certain limitations that you have, but when the Holy Spirit uses, lives in you, you're able to do so much more than you were expecting. Just like the disciples when the Holy Spirit allowed them to preach and cast out demons. God wants you to experience a life at a completely different level than you're currently living. And we can all have that if we allow him to empower us and to allow us to have transformational discipleship with other people in our lives. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for all that you do. Lord, I thank you for the skills and the gifts that you've given to us. Lord, I would ask that you would put it on people's hearts to be willing to be trained to be better disciple makers. I ask that they would go deeper in that conversation with someone, that they would go deeper in that relationship with you. Lord, we just ask that you would put it on people's hearts, who they need to reach out to, who they need to connect with, and that they would experience a level of growth that maybe they haven't felt in a while. Lord, I pray that you put in partnership people's lives, that they be able to help each other grow they help each other experience you and that they are able to share your love with them in a way that changes their life through their compassion, through their consistency, through their challenging and through their availability. Lord, I thank you for the life change and the people that you've put into our lives to help us be better disciples. In Jesus' name, amen.